Welcome to the Wings Over New Zealand show with Dave Homewood. Welcome to the Wings Over New Zealand show. I'm Dave Homewood, your host, and I'm sitting today in the Avspex hangar with Warren Denham. Uh, Warren, welcome. Thank you, Dave. Um, you're world-renowned as a amazing warbird restorer, uh, but how did you first get into all this? Uh, well, I wasn't working on warbirds. In fact, warbirds weren't even my passion, really, when I was in my 20s. I was a uh, mechanic at uh, what was called Pacific Aircraft in Rotorua. I, I, I joined the Air Force when I left school, but there were certain things about the Air Force sort of way of doing things that didn't fit with me, and so after a year or so in the Air Force, I quit and went back to Rotorua, where I was, was sort of my hometown. Yep. Got a job working there, looking after float planes and you know scenic flying airplanes, and sort of the last kind of the end of Fred Ladd's career and then uh, carried on working for Pacific a Aircraft there, uh, Pacific Aviation actually, not Pacific Aircraft, Pacific Aviation, yep. uh, looking after the float planes and things like that and uh, I had built a home-built uh, thing called a Rutan Quickie oh, yeah, yeah. with another guy that I had worked with there, Jeff Zool, and we uh, we got on very well and we built a couple of these aeroplanes together when we, you know, we were just 21 and 22. And uh, he'd moved to Auckland to work for Bell Helicopters, and he rang me up one day and said, oh, you know, there's a job up here. Some guys are looking for somebody to help them rebuild a Hawker Sea Fury, and they're paying 10 bucks an hour. And I said, shit, 10 bucks an hour? That's good, because, you know, that was a lot of money in then. Yeah. I was only like, I'm $5.50 or something in Rotorua. Uh, you know, what's a Sea Fury? And it wasn't quite as bad as that, but, um, you know, I had not been involved in any of that kind of historical stuff. But... It seemed like a good good opportunity to move. I'd had enough of working on dropping my spanners in Lake Rotorua on a freezing cold winter's day. <laughs> so uh, I came on up and uh, Bruce Coulter and Neil Moore were, were working away on the Sea Fury and they needed someone to help them and so um, um, they gave me a job. And okay. Basically uh, I've been working on warbirds pretty much ever since. So that was 1986. Right. Um, and uh, I eventually bought into that company and worked with them until uh, the early 90s when um, uh, I sold out and went uh, off with um, Jim Pavitt and Charles Darby and set up Pacific Aircraft over in East Tamaki in Auckland and we started doing P-40 restorations on the P-40 projects that Charles Darby had recovered from New Guinea and it sort of grew out of that and then, uh, yeah, AvSpec's formed Avspecs in 1997 when when uh, Pacific Aircraft closed down I my father was still living in Rotorua and so I went back to Rotorua he bought a hangar down there and we set up Avspecs in the hangar at Rotorua and started working on the Mark 14 that Tim Wallace had injured himself in. Right, right, the Spitfire. The Spitfire, yeah, yeah. Mark 14 Spitfire and so that was the first aeroplane that we got into the workshop. And, and it's still in the workshop. <laughs> yeah, it is, although not for much longer hopefully. Yeah. Yeah, we're working on that now to get it finished uh, as soon as we can, straight after the mosquito. Cool. Yeah. Okay, so um, how long were you at Rotorua before you moved up to Ardmore? 
Uh, well, I came back from the Air Force in 79, and I was there until 86. And then uh, I came up to here, worked, uh, worked through till 1997 when we started again in Rotorua, and then we'd been doing some joint projects with Pioneer. As Garth Hogan bought the um, remains of Pacific Aircraft and with a view to building his own P-40, and so um, I was kind of acting as their chief engineer and coming up and certifying the work they were doing, and there was a lot of toing and froing between Rotorua and Auckland to try and keep them, them happy and do the stuff we were doing down there, and it got harder and harder to find staff members that wanted to live and work in Rotorua. Yep. So I uh, moved back here in 2000, so really that was only three years in Rotorua. 97 to 2000, and then um, Pioneer was still over in East Tamaki, and we'd come from Rotorua, so we we, um, we we jointly bought one of the old World War II hangars over in Corsair Lane, and operated out of there together, Pioneer and Avspecs, for a while, until we sort of outgrew that whole arrangement and uh, built our new hangar here in 2003. Uh, so yes, next year we're coming up for 10 years of uh, of in the new building here. Right. And the first aeroplane that we produced out of this new facility was um, the P-40 for Jerry Yagen yep. in 2003. Uh, and then sort of out of the success of that came the Mosquito project for him. Right. How did that actually come about? Well, <clears throat> when he got his P-40 back back to America, it, um, you know, he took it to a few air shows and ended up going home with a bootload of trophies because it, you know, had come up so nice. That uh, he sort of obviously thought that the experience of dealing with Kiwis and the whole process had gone pretty well for him. He came down here and enjoyed the, um, uh, you know, the fact that it was debuted at, at uh, Classic Fighters Air Show in 2003, I guess it was. Yeah. And, uh, you know, um, so he sort of said to me, oh, you know, well, it'd be good if we could get you to do something else. And I hadn't been kind of keeping an eye on, well, not keeping, no, not really, but I, I knew about what Glenn was doing. Yeah. And I'd, I'd visited him, him when he was building the moulds uh, over in uh, Mount Wellington. And uh, he'd built the um, static fuselage for, the, for a museum in Canada off his moulds that he'd made. And I went up and had a look at it in his garage and thought, well, you know, and, and it was very impressive and, you know, he'd done a beautiful job of it. So I started to think, well, you know, maybe there was some potential in, in mosquito restorations, uh, you know, given what Glenn had managed to achieve. So I said to Jerry, oh, you know, well, <coughs> guess what, you know, there's a mosquito being, you know, the moulds have been built for a mosquito. Would you be interested in a mosquito project? And he, uh, Jerry was not really um, into it at the same degree he is now. He was just sort of, uh, you know, his collection was growing and the P-40 was, you know, one of the main aeroplanes he had at that time. But uh, anyway, he thought the idea was pretty good. Yeah. I'm sure he never expected it to go on as long as it has. Um, but uh, Glenn knew of a project aeroplane that was available in Canada, so um, Jerry agreed to buy the project and the rest is sort of... The last uh, eight years of seven years of uh, of work have right. gone into it. I mean, it was a pretty rumpy project, and it required a complete new airframe. But uh, a lot of the all the metal work, or the majority of the metal work, was all real good. Uh, yeah, so it's been 
Yeah, it started. The project arrived in two thousand and five, uh, you know, around Christmas, uh, January two thousand and five, and uh, we started off, uh, you know, overhauling the components while Glenn built the fuselage and then ultimately the wing. Right. What have been the biggest challenges on it so far? Uh, well, I guess it's unusual in a way because, say, for instance, you're overhauling a Spitfire. There's been an industry building Spitfires for a long time, so you can almost find, you know, if you go to the right places, you can find somebody that's done it already. Yeah. They've either overhauled the brake valves themselves or they've made new this or they've made new that. There's companies all around the world that you can buy parts off. So in some ways it's easier to, to do something that's already been done before, but the problem is that because there's 50-something flying Spitfires, all the bits have been hoovered up, for those projects and it's hard to find parts. Yep. Now with a Mosquito, the trouble is that nobody's done it before, so that means that there is nobody you can go to that, that's already solved that problem or worked that part of it out or built those whatevers. So you have to do all of that stuff yourself. You have to find all of the documentation and all of the plans and all of the books and, and all the technical stuff to back it up. You have to figure all that stuff out yourself. But conversely, because there's been no industry associated with mosquito rebuilds there's also stuff floating around that people have not thought have, have, have you know would have any value because there's no flying mosquitoes so for example you can buy brand new brake units for mosquitoes from a whole lot of different places and you know we picked up you know over a dozen new brake units for this mosquito okay. relatively inexpensively we found new undercarriage legs and um, brand new wheels and pieces turn up all the time that uh, you know you would never find for that kind of money you can pick them up for for other projects you can find them for mosquitoes because there is no mosquito rebuild industry yet so in some ways the technical side of it's a challenge because the information has not already been found in a lot of cases and then it's offset a little bit by the fact that there's stuff floating around for mosquitoes that you would never find for other airplanes so it's a kind of it's a it's actually quite a simple airplane as well the structure of it you know there's only five bulkheads in the whole fuselage and because it's a true monocoque fuselage you know the skin sandwich is all the strength there's there's very little stuff inside it it's just a big pipe so that sort of makes working in it relatively easy um, but then the other side of it is the wiring is particularly complicated because there's no earth return can't you can't you know everything's got to have twice as many wires going to it because you can't just earth it to the airframe and and uh, and like it is in metal airplanes so there's a lot more wiring and because it's because it's because they have this earth return system in there they also use that to switch things on and off sometimes so <laughs> it's not as simple as you would think it would be okay. but then it is British so you kind of expect find that kind of thing with it a bit, you know. Yep. Uh, um, tell me about the guys who are actually working on the restoration. There's a small team of guys, aren't there? Yeah. Um, well, there's two guys that have been on it full-time from when it started. That's uh, Paul Levitt and Andy Hosking have both been working almost completely on the mosquitoes since they started. And in fact, Paul, apart from doing some other maintenance checks on Spitfires and 
Mustangs and stuff has worked has only ever worked on the mosquito since he's worked for us. Right. So yeah, those guys have been on it for well, yeah, they're into their eighth year now, um, and uh, have you know have shown that you know they've got great skills and and ability to work things out. You know yeah. because as I was saying before, there's n there's no history to go on. You know you have to find all the photos and all the pictures and all the drawings yourself for the way things are done and. Uh, uh, you know they've done a, I think, a fantastic job of finding all that stuff and um, and putting it together. Um, and then in the latter stages, you know, as, we, as uh, you know, once the airframe got finished and we're starting to get it together, we've brought the rest of the guys in who have got specific skills in specific areas. Richard Waterus has done the wiring on it. Uh, a lot of the sheet metal work we've had Gary Lynn do, and now uh, now that we're building cowlings, um, our shop manager. Derek Smith is building, building the cowlings, and so yeah. I mean, good thing about having a big team is that you soon find who's good at what different task, and yeah. providing they don't get too bored with it, you can keep using them for different areas without throughout the aeroplane. Like Andy's, Andy's fantastic on on detailing, yeah. and you know all that beautiful stuff that you've seen in the cockpit and all that, all, all the placarding and all that kind of thing. That's you know that's where Andy's you know uh, an absolute wizard. Yeah. And then Paul's been doing all the plumbing and uh, and controls runs and all that kind of stuff. And so you know he's really got his head around the hydraulics and the pneumatics, and then the sheet metal stuff. You know we've got guys good for that. And Richard is is uh, great on the wiring. So you know uh, the team have come together pretty well, I think, in, yeah, exactly. in all those different areas. And now that we're getting into the painting and the markings, and uh, you know we've brought in help from. Uh, from some, you know, associates in England, who um, uh, Steve Atkin is helping us uh, research the markings. Because once again, because it's not a very common aeroplane, there's a lot of sort of mosquito unique stuff that's involved in the markings that's not that easy to get. Right. So, you know, we're having the um, stenciling done in the UK with the proper original font, so that we've got it all as accurate as possible. Um, the engines for the aeroplane are actually XR and ZAF Mosquito engines. Okay. The project didn't have any engines with it, but uh, um, the engines that are on it were used to belong to a, um, a great sort of supporter of the project, John Antonovich, and he uh, he sold them to a bloke from Australia, and he uh, he fortunately had just kept them in his basement and never done anything with them, <laughs> and we tracked down who owned them and. Uh, and managed to convince him that he, he he should let them go, and so we shipped them back to New Zealand, and then over to vintage V12s in California to be overhauled. Yeah. So you know, there's quite a bit of XR and ZAF aeroplane in it. Uh, the propellers uh, came from Glenn Powell's stock of stuff, and and some other ones we picked up in England. Yeah. Safe Air have overhauled those for us. So the propellers of you know, I'm not exactly sure where they came from, but they're either New Zealand or Australian mosquito propellers. So there's quite a bit of that sort of stuff involved. Okay. You know, Kiwi connection there, apart from the Kiwis building it, you know. And of course the markings are going to be in a New Zealand connection scheme, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, why not? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We're in New Zealand, we might as well paint it up like a Kiwi mosquito. So yes, it's going to be in 487 squadron markings. Yep. Um, which is basically RAF camouflage, the same as you know every mosquito, more or less, every fighter mosquito, anyway. And um, uh, so we'll have we'll have it in 487 squadron markings, which are 
primary codes were EG and quite heavily photographed as well so there's lots of EG aeroplanes to look at yeah. um, but we haven't quite decided which EG will make it um, but yes the idea is to try and commemorate the 487 squadron um, aircrew a little bit with it when the opportunity comes to fly and there's some good stories around what they did and you know, that kind of thing of course, they were the squadron that attacked the Gestapo headquarters. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, the prison that the Gestapo, Gestapo were running in France, they were involved in that operation to yeah, yeah. blow it up and free the resistance, which is one of the you know more common mosquito stories yep. and a good one to good one to uh, honour. Yes, absolutely. So yes, the plan is that uh, over the next uh, you know well, it's going to the paint shop over to um, um, Airspray here at Hardmore. Yeah, so it goes over to Roy's uh, first week in August for the main paint scheme. A lot of pieces have already gone over and been painted. We'll get it back around about the end of August, I think. And uh, then we'll put the propellers on and chuck a bit of fuel in it and fire her up. Brilliant. It's going to be quite exciting, I think, getting it going for the first time. And then uh, with a view to, um, you know, start test flying in early September, mid-September. It's going to be a, a milestone, isn't it? I mean, you, you've done Spitfires and you've done you know, Kitty Hawks, that sort of thing, but this is going to be something different, isn't it, to get this far? Yeah, yeah, well, I mean, the, it's the rarity of it as much as anything. I mean, if, if, if we weren't the first ones doing it, if people had been doing it all around the place, it wouldn't be so unique, but there's, you know, it's a very popular aeroplane, yeah. and there aren't any of them flying, so... Uh, you know that combination has, uh, you know, got the interest of a lot of people, yeah. and for, so from our perspective, it's uh, you know quite unique in that regard. The the um, the B model Tomahawk that we finished last year was pretty rare as well. In, in fact, in reality, rarer than the than the Mosquito. There are more mosquitoes in museums than than there are you know early model P40s. Yep. So yeah, in reality, the P40 was probably rarer. But um, you know, a lot, a lot, uh, a lot more common as far as you know the way it works. It's very similar to other P40s. But you know this one because there are none flying, and and uh, you know a lot of people thought they would never see one flying again. Yeah, true. It's it's uh, it has attracted the attention of a lot of people. Because no one's ever rebuilt one, have they? Not, not even in the RAF, they haven't taken. No, no. Well, that the. the you know the ones that were flying in in modern times um, were, were all kept going, you know, all the way through. Yeah. So um, Kermit Weeks is one that's um, in the museum at uh, at Oshkosh. Is you know it was just flying all the way through, and most of those aeroplanes were involved in the movies that were made in the 60s. Um, and you know the um, uh, Brit uh, British Aerospace's aeroplane was you know it had just been kept going all the way through. Um, and they, you know, I don't know whether if, Kim, if uh, Kermit's aeroplane had been kept flying, whether it would still be airworthy today or not, you know, 70-year-old glue joints. and You know, they were originally put together with urea uh, formaldehyde glue, and it's, it's a good glue, but it, it, it's not particularly water-resistant, waterproof, so if there's any water gets in, and water gets in, you know, you can't help it. Yeah. Um, you know, he starts throwing up questions about the integrity of some of the glue joints. So, you know, I don't know whether there would have been any mosquitoes still flying original ones. I mean, they're working on a, an original airframe uh, in um, 
on Vancouver Island in British Columbia yeah. uh, at Victoria Air Maintenance for um, a guy Bob Jens, and um, he that aeroplane is an original airframe. Uh, so when they get that flying, that will be uh, another one, obviously that that uh, will be in the air. But I don't. I understand they're not going to do a whole lot of flying with it. They may just fly it and then put it away. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think you know the fact that the the, the woodwork has all been refreshed is uh, you know what's going to make the mosquito you know go on for the next bloody hundred years or whatever. You know, we've we're gluing it the, the, the next one we're doing we're gluing together with um, uh, you know we've we, epoxy uh, has Glenn used epoxy and on this one and we're, we're using um, uh, resourcenal glue uh, on the next one okay. just because we're we, we think that with the the close tolerance work that we can do with the CNC router that we're using to manufacture the parts we can get good enough glue joint with um, and a superior glue joint with resourcenol. So there's no reason why that, you know, given that they're looked after the way they're going to be looked after from now on, you know, they're going to be loved yeah. and kept in beautiful hangars and, you know, hardly ever out in the out in the weather and certainly not parked outside overnight and for months and months in the rain. Yeah. Like they were, you know, I mean, all of them, all mosquitoes that were built and operated during the war sat outside the whole time. So yes. if it was a shitty... British winter, he'd got it, you know. Yeah. Um, and they've got an escape hatch right over the, uh, in the top of the canopy, and the water drips in through that and lands on the main spar, and you know it's it's not good. And in fact, I understand that that may have been the reason why they scrapped the RNZAF ones that the water had leaked in through the through the canopy and and uh, affected the main spar on the on the Kiwi ones. Okay. That's part of the reason. Well, that's what sort of accelerated their scrapping. Yeah. So, but they, you know, that's not going to happen from now on. You know, there's no reason why a mosquito can't last. You know, this wood has no finite life itself. You know, it doesn't it doesn't fatigue. So as long as you can keep the moisture under control and the humidity, uh, you know, and they're all sealed up with epoxy resins and Nevergure and that kind of stuff now, so the the, the the water doesn't get into the wood like it used to. There's no reason why they can't go on for hundreds of years. Cool. Okay. Which will be great. Yeah. Especially if we build another half a dozen of them. <laughs> so you're still looking for customers for more of them? Yeah, well I think, yeah, finding customers is harder than finding projects probably at the moment. Um, but uh, yeah, we are pursuing that possibility because I'm sure we can uh, turn it around in a much shorter space of time. I mean all these things are based around what the customer can finance. Yeah. I mean this has taken you know what seems like a long time but in order to have done it any quicker there would have had to have been a larger amount of money available at the time and uh, you have to just work to the budget that the owner can manage and uh, sometimes that means that it takes quite a long time yeah. uh, but uh, um, we do have the you know now that a lot of the problems have been solved and the technical information is available and it's all been modeled in the computer for the woodwork we can turn it all around a lot quicker now providing the customers got the money yeah. Yeah, so uh, yeah, it's not as easy as it was when the dollar was 42 cents, but um, you know, luckily we've we've got through that and established a a bit of a reputation, and uh, you know, we can we can work on that rather than the financial side of it a little bit more now. Well, you've certainly got a good reputation, and you've won a lot of awards, haven't you, for your 
very cursed. Yeah, well, yeah, well, we've been lucky. I think that uh, um, the customers have wanted that kind of aeroplane from us. You know, you can only do it if the guy's prepared to pay for it. Yeah. And even if you, you know, if if you pride yourself on the kind of work that that wins those awards, if you aren't given the the you know resources to make that happen, then you either never get it finished because you know it can't be paid for. Yeah. Or you don't get the job in the first place because you know you're going to be too expensive for a lot of people. So we've been lucky that the customers have allowed that to happen for us, and uh, you know we've been able to turn out you know quality stuff. And long may it continue. Uh, I think the mosquito is going to is another sort of step up from everything we've done as well. Um, so you know we've gone to a lot of trouble to make it as authentic as possible. And, uh, you know, like I say, we, we just received, uh, just in the last couple of months, a brand new, never been in an aeroplane wartime production uh, mosquito seat back cushion thingy right. that somebody had wrapped up in the, you know, wartime packaging, never been uh, opened. And, uh, you know, that's going in the aeroplane as well. So, you know, that's pretty cool. You know, you don't. You don't you don't get that kind of thing when you you know in your in your Mustang restoration. There's no. 500 have gone on before you that have <laughs> swallowed all that up. You know. But, I mean, it just makes you wonder why people keep this stuff as well. Yeah, well, I, um, a lot of people keep stuff and won't let it go. I mean, collectors by nature don't like letting anything go. Yeah. But a lot of these things change hands. You know, somebody passes away or. Or circumstances change for them, and they think, oh, you know, I need to clean out the garage. What's that sort of thing? Oh, that's right, that's that thing, you know. And the next thing you know, it's on eBay or whatever. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, I guess there's a curiosity and a connection. Who knows, you know? Um, some of these things are connected to the people that own them because of their relations and family members that were mosquito pilots or wartime pilots or whatever, and so the stuff gets saved. Um, and uh, conversely, a whole lot of it got, got lost as well. Yeah. But um, yeah, things are still bubbling to the surface, and, you know. What do you think has been your, um, your most amazing find of uh, all the little bits that you've found here and there? Oh, the brand new wheels were probably the coolest thing we've got. I mean, the seat cushion's nice, but the wheels, I mean, um, you know, the wheels have, have these sort of water transfers on them that kind of give you instructions on how to put them together and all that kind of thing. And you just never, ever see that sort of stuff ordinarily with any of this World War II gear right. because, you know, they've already been used up. But we got these brand new wheels still, you know, packed in grease from World War II. Wow. And, the, you know, we've saved the stenciling on them and, and not painted over it so that they've still got that authentic look. Um, so they 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 were really quite are really quite special. Um, Can you tell us a little bit about the other projects like um, the Spitfire Mark V and um, the, the Tomahawk and, and just give a bit of a background on those? Well, the Mark V was originally started by um, uh, Mike Aitchison and and Pete Crozer in Australia, and they had collected up everything pretty much for it and sent. The wings to us to be rebuilt because we'd already uh, set up a wing jig and started doing Spitfire wings for the Mark 14 Spitfire and the Mark 16 that we've got underway. Uh, and so we got, um, they sent their wings over 
for us to do and during the process of, of us finishing off their wings they sort of brokered a deal to exchange their Spitfire for a flying Mustang which meant they were going to get into the air much quicker and put the Spitfire into the hands of a new collector from the States. Uh, Rod Lewis who wanted the aeroplane to be finished off uh, you know, as, as, uh, as stock standard and as, as nicely as could be done so the rest of the project came over from Australia and they had rebuilt the fuselage, or the fuselage had been rebuilt by Dick Melton um, and we already had the wings here and so uh, we sort of uh, carried on from that airframe had already been done position um, through to getting it flying and that was in 2007 a Mark, uh, a Mark 5, uh, BL628 that one was, so it had had uh, wartime service and uh, the Canadian pilot had shot down a couple of uh, aeroplanes, had a, had a couple of uh, confirmed kills in that particular aeroplane and the cockpit section was all that really had remained of it, but that's the best part to get, you know, the seat and the throttle and the control column and the instrument panel and all the cool things that the pilot actually interacted with were all the stuff that, you know, had been saved, much more interesting than tails and wings and things, it was the cockpit that existed for that aeroplane, because, you, you know, most Spitfires, especially early Spitfires, the chance of finding anything significant to, to work around you know, almost non-existent nowadays. Yeah. So to have that, you know, all that patina there was real good. The very seat that the guy sat on and the control column he hung onto and the pedals he pushed and that kind of thing. So that aeroplane worked out, came up very nicely. And, uh, you know, being an early model Spitfire, it's nice and simple compared to the later ones, you know, simple fuel system and simple coolant system and only one radiator and that kind of thing. And the three-bladed uh, Rotol wooden propeller um, so yeah that 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 was uh, a good a good stepping stone for us particularly with that client because he uh, he uh, went on to acquire the p40 tomahawk that we did so that's a repeat business for for, for that customer yeah and uh, the Tomahawk, had, once again, another project that had been started by somebody else but had sort of failed to carry on. We, we um, it used to belong to a guy, Chris Grews, in California, but, and he had contracted us to build the horizontal for it and overhaul some hydraulic components and things as part of our sort of regular P40 stuff that we were doing. And um, uh, uh, he sold out of that project and uh, it ended up with Rod Lewis again from Texas and so we'd finished the Spitfire and so oh well you know let's get let's get Avspec to carry on and build the Tomahawk for us as well. So that was a that was a, another one of those sort of early model projects where there's not a lot of information around about that particular style of thing I don't know why but for some reason or other the P40 drawings that exist for the P40 series uh, but the P40 grew out of the P36, yeah. and the very first P40s were just re-engined P36s, really. Um, and the drawings that exist for the P40, they, if the parts were used in the P36 and prior to the sort of early model P40, then then the drawings existed on the big microfilm uh, sort of cache that you get. And then if the parts were used in the E model and, and onwards, the regular Kitty Hawk that we all know, yeah. Then the drawings existed in the on the microfilm for the for that model, but because for some reason or other, and I don't know why, 
the group of drawings for the P40, P40B and P40C, the Tomahawk, um, uh, they're not on the microfilm. Okay. So if the parts were used before the P40 and uh, and then used after the P40 and were incorporated in the Tomahawk, then you get a drawing for them. But if they were specific to the Tomahawk and no, no other model, then there are no drawings on the microfilm for them. I've been told they're in some room in the Smithsonian with a million other drawings waiting to be catalogued. Right. But I don't know whether that's true or not. It sound, sounds feasible. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that made it a bit of a challenge because everything that's unique about it, therefore, is uh, has no information. So we relied heavily on photographs of the most original one that exists, which is in Seattle at Flying Heritage. So yes, yeah, so we managed to uh, um, gain. You know, we got a lot of photos. I went to Seattle and photographed the Flying Heritage P40, which is one that was recovered from from uh, Russia, pretty much intact, and so it was as good as an original one as you could as you could find. And we built a whole lot of that aeroplane based on the photos of the other one because there was just no other information but it all worked out pretty well and you know it picked up an award at, uh, when he got it back to the states as well so maybe we can get a mosquito into that hangar too one day because yeah. <laughs> repeat business is the best business you can get so you know we are a little company like ours only needs a you know two or three good clients and that's enough to keep us going for you know years and years so Absolutely. That's pretty much the way it's been. We've been lucky with the clients and they've managed to sort of ride out the global financial crisis and keep us going, which is good. Yep. And uh, even though we are still struggling with the dollar the way it is, uh, you know, we've been lucky that these guys have managed to keep their head above water and keep their projects going. And long may it continue. Yeah, absolutely. Um, just a, as a final sort of wrap up, do you want to just give a little brief on what's going to happen with on the September 29th? Yeah, well, the plan on September the 29th is the airplane's going to be available for flying. There's three flying slots during the day. There's one at 10.30, 12.30, and 2.30, and it, there's going to be a sort of slightly different theme for each one. I think the first one is is um, a kind of de Havilland heritage sort of thing where the tiger moths and dragon rapides and dragonflies and stuff, is all, the early de Havilland airplanes are going to be uh, featured, and then the mosquito will do a will fly with those as much as it can and then a bit of a handling display. And then the the noon slot is going to be World War II um, era stuff, so there'll be the Spitfires, um, Kitty Hawk and Mustang will all fly with the Mosquito and then uh, later on the afternoon it's more de Havilland but this time it's the de Havilland jets with the Vampire and the Venom and, um, and the Mosquito together so you'll sort of get the full kind of de Havilland development. So if you're a de Havilland fan it's going to be a great day for you. Um, and then there's a lot of um, car clubs, primarily British car clubs, have, have uh, decided it's a good winter opportunity to get their cars out. So there's going to be a lot of uh, British car club stuff on display, Jaguars and MGs and all that kind of um, you know classic British stuff. There's yep. uh, there's military vehicles and the reenactors are going to be on hand as well. So it'll be pretty much like a you know full blown air show that uh, you know you would see at at uh, Wanaka and and Omarka except it's sort of you know geared around the mosquito um, so yeah that, that's going to pretty much take up the whole day here at Ardmore on Saturday the 29th tickets are available uh, at the gate uh, on that day and I'd, I would recommend just uh, you know keeping that day free and uh, getting yourself out here nice and early on September the 29th 
uh, I'll be opportunities to get up close with the mosquito and uh, have a good look at it. It'll be parked over and amongst the crowd during the day, so each time it'll go out and do its flying, come back in amongst the crowd. There'll be a lot of other um, interesting aeroplanes on display, static display, as well as those that are going to be flying. So, yeah, it should be unique opportunity for Kiwi fans to have a look at have a look at uh, a mosquito flying. Nobody else will have ever, you know, for, for whatever it is, 17 years or something since the last one was flying. Um, so it'll be a sight and sound that, you know, should be quite exciting. Hell yeah, it's going to be amazing. Mm. Absolutely amazing. So everybody has to pray for fine weather. Yep. Well, there is a wet weather day available on the Sunday, so if we can't make it happen on the Saturday due to the weather, we'll, we'll uh, try and sort of re-establish it all again on the Sunday. But it uh, should be fun. And of course there's a bit of a uh, veteran element to it as well, isn't there? Yeah. Well, we've, you know... There's not going to be much opportunity to share the stories of these veterans as time goes by. So we have um, invited as many um, World War II aircrew and ground crew and post-World War II mosquito aircrew and ground crew as we can um, find from around the country to come and join us uh, at the air show that day and uh, share their stories with, uh, with us all. And then uh, that evening we're having a having a dinner in the Warbirds hangar that uh, will once again see those veterans as our special guests and give them an opportunity to tell us what it was like to you know, be a 20 year old roaring around in a mosquito in 1940 something uh, while you know, surrounded by balsa wood and plywood and bullets flying everywhere I guess it was pretty thrilling and nerve wracking and terrifying all at once so uh, yeah there should be some good stories there and it will be an opportunity for everybody to you know, pat them on the back and Thank them again for the good work they did. Yep. So that's another cool element to this whole, you know, um, historical side of it that you don't get in any other avenue of of aviation. You don't get that sort of uh, opportunity to to meet with these guys and talk to them about what you're doing. So that's a neat part about being involved in the history side of it, and restoring old aeroplanes. Is that you know you do get to meet some of these guys, and they're pretty cool. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you very much, Warren. It's been a pleasure to sit here and talk with you about this. And, uh, yeah, good luck with it. Thanks, Dave. Cheers. See you on the 29th. Yeah, definitely. That was the Wings Over New Zealand show with Dave Homewood.